Hey, it's Matt Franco. And this is Eric Dittleman. And this is Mind Over Magic. I want to hear about your uh, bad career advice that you've gotten that you never asked for. Yeah, we're revisiting that. Um, also, going to talk a little bit about productivity and how we work and what our process is. And uh, maybe we'll get to a new segment. I don't know. This is a bank episode, by the way. If you have a riddle for me, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. This is a bank episode. Uh, we're not sure when it will air. We have an idea when it's going to air. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're recording this um, uh, from the past to the present, which is the future. Because, again constant theme we have going on this podcast is what is time it doesn't exist really <laughs> true yeah so this is uh this is a bank episode this is our first one and um yeah we're gonna pick up some threads that we kind of left hanging in some previous episodes uh that we haven't gotten to uh including career advice you had asked me this on a couple episodes ago it might have even been off the air after we finished yeah it might have been off the air uh no i think it might have been recorded but um uh, set me up again. What was the, the question? Uh, I'm just curious. I feel like in magic, it happens all the time. And if there are magicians listening to this, probably could relate to uh, just career advice that people are always kind of giving you that you never really asked for. So right. I remember being in high school and a gym teacher coming into the locker room telling me that I got to get into cruise ships, you know, like just <laughs> yeah. all kinds of random things. Yeah, I, I always love that it's things you had like never thought about before like as if you never thought you know to as do. if you never yeah, thought yeah. yeah it's like yeah, yeah. oh you I, sh- I should be making money with this oh <laughs> i i was planning on going into a career but yeah having the idea to make money while having a career mm, good idea good idea you should try to go on a talk show <laughs> yeah 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 a lot of it's easier said than done yeah that's yeah the thing. of course <laughs> uh the only thing that i was able to come up with this was a, a story of a sort of mutual acquaintance uh, who will remain nameless. Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> basically, when I said I was a you know comedy mentalist, comedy mind reader, this is going to ring some bells to you. Uh, they basically told me that I need to gain more weight to be successful <laughs> in comedy. <laughs> they said, you know, I'm a chubby guy, but they're like, you need to be really like 200 pounds. <laughs> Now that you said that and did an impression. No, I didn't do an impression. That was just a random voice. I feel like I remember this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And I was just kind of taken aback. It's like, you don't have to like, the the, the weight isn't the funny part. That's not what I'm going for. I'm not going for like a funny look. It's about the quality of the material of the joke writing. And he's he's like, yeah, you got to be a much larger, like, you basically want to be be unhealthy and obese <laughs> to right. be a you know comedy mentalist, right? Which that also, was definitely go ahead. Which is also not like a common thing to begin with. So anyone just doing comedy and mentalism, I feel, is you know pretty niche <laughs> a little bit, you know, because a lot of For mentalists sure. are very serious. So I was like, just the fact that I'm like doing more jokes than most, I feel, will separate me out doesn't have to do with the weight <laughs> magic is very niche mm-hmm. mentalism even more so people ask all the time what is a mentalist do people ask you that um not so much i don't use that really? word as much because i on my all my marketing it's mind reader although i do use them interchangeably but so yeah i feel like i get asked that but like what is mentalism people mm-hmm. ask me that they've heard of it but they don't really understand what it is right right well my response, why I usually don't use the word mentalist. I mean, it's definitely more common since the TV show, The Mentalist, happened. Sure. For sure. So that brought it into the lexicon a little bit more. But uh, I, I was just always avoiding it because I heard in the UK, like, being a mentalist pretty just meant, like, a, it was like a term meaning you're crazy. Like, you're, you know, it was like kind of a derogatory term with someone with, like, a mental illness almost. <laughs> so they called him mm-hmm. a mentalist. So I never loved that term. Although, you know, words change over times and have different meanings in different contexts. So, you know, if someone's talking about a performer mentalist, obviously that stigma shouldn't be there of the, just the regular British vernacular. Um, but I don't know. I just it, it, it didn't feel 
like the right fit for me uh, as mm -hmm. I performed. So Mind Reader was very much more to the point. Now, that's not to say I made some missteps along the way and played around with other terms. <laughs> right, right. I tried to emphasize the entertainment part. And I believe for the like first year or two of my career, I called myself a mind entertainer. That's when we first met. When I we saw first your met. sign that said "Mind Entertainer." <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and I'm I didn't glad love you it. it. I I'm yeah. glad you changed it. Yeah, yeah, it was a little pretentious. <laughs> you had to listen to your audience. <laughs> I'm not I, sure if pretentious is the bad, you know, the worst part. Yeah, it's just a funny name. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't flow. It didn't make sense. And uh, like I said, we all make missteps. I, I remember oh, yeah. being at a at a show where literally I had like my banners up and like I heard overheard like a student be like, what the hell is that mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And that's where you take the feedback. You're like, yeah, maybe that is dumb. <laughs> um, so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, I, the reasoning was to like emphasize that this isn't like a, you know, psychic or I'm, you know, have supernatural powers. And that was more focused on, this is just an entertaining show. And I've hopefully communicated that in my other marketing since, and you know, just switched the mind reader and that style, and it's way more straightforward and sure, it's sure. much nicer. Straightforward is good. What what missteps have you made in your marketing? Hmm. <laughs> Do you regret? Because I remember the big poster you had, the big uh, banner, uh, and it worked yeah. really well for the college market, but yeah, obviously really not well. nothing you would use now for your Vegas show. But for those who've never seen Matt Franco puking up cards into a toilet. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I made a lot of almost mistakes, but somebody yeah. stopped me before I made it. Oh, that's nice. So for nice. example, I'll give you an example with the toilet. So mm -hmm. uh, as Eric mentioned, it was me hunched over a toilet, uh, like you might expect a college student to be uh, if they partied too much. And there were some red solo cups crushed and just cards all over the place. So the bit was in, in the ad, the print ad, was that I had thrown up cards. And... Mm -hmm. It worked really well in the trade show environment when I was standing in the booth and people could see me and interact with me right. and see that I wasn't um, just some... That uh, wasn't your whole vibe. Yeah, that wasn't my whole vibe. And you no, looked I, very young. I mean, maybe it's just because it's been many years since that, but mm -hmm. I'm recalling you looking like you were uh, like a freshman in college in that photo almost. Sure, sure. And... Uh, I almost made the mistake of using that ad also in print in some of the college magazines. And I think mm -hmm. that would have been a huge mistake because now you're just, I hate to say, it, but like uh, putting a picture like that in like a magazine without yeah. seeing the person to balance it out, mm -hmm. it conjures up images of fecal matter yeah. in your mind. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's literally a toilet. <laughs> and luckily, uh, the graphic designer I was working with said that to me and I said, you are wise. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to have a team to bounce these ideas off of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think I did pretty okay on most of the marketing. Yeah, my um, team I hope so. That's what I studied in school. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, having a ma marketing degree should <laughs> give you a leg up. <laughs> in theory, yeah. In theory. Yeah, I guess my team was essentially just my friends who would make fun of the name Mind Entertainer when it was happening too. I had some, mm -hmm. you know... High school friends growing up who just like at every opportunity would bring that up. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's changing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Those, those friends are so important. But it's hard when it's by yourself, you know, in your vacuum, you have some ideas that sound like they're great. So, you know, it's, you know, it's having that feedback that's so important. What's funny is we're all in a vacuum. So, like, mm -hmm. okay, we forget that not everyone knows what a mentalist is. We right. forget that people don't actually use the phrase three-card Monty. Magicians just yeah. think that's like a thing everyone knows about, not necessarily. Now, the other thing too, let's take the most extreme example. Uh, David Copperfield. Yes, I've heard of him. The most famous, the <laughs> most, what did you say? I said I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, the most famous, the most successful illusionist of all time. I yeah. mean, at least of our time, yeah. maybe all time. I mean, if, if you want to compare to Houdini or something, right? right? Maybe. Yeah. If you um, ask a layperson, like, name a magician, most will say Copperfield or Houdini. We think. We, we think. think so. But but really, um, uh, to us, I think he's in a whole different light than to 
to a person. Now, I'm not not to take, again, I'm trying to be mm-hmm. very clear here, not to yeah. take anything away. The most successful of all time, the most famous of all time, uh, you can't put us on the same scale. You and I were basically contestant number three from episode two of <laughs> Supermarket Sweep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I'm not saying anything disparaging at all. To be fair, a lot of people watch AGT more than supermarkets, <laughs> <laughs> which is a shame because supermarket sweep is fantastic. And coming but, back, I think. <laughs> you know, where where in our world we might know everything about this person, right? But to to people, I mean, there are so many famous people. They, I don't know. It's hard to equate someone of that like godlike figure, but in everyday life, it's also the same as like Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Who's also very, very famous, right? I don't know. Am I explaining this wrong? Yeah, I think I think it's all about percept perception and like we we know tons of magic celebrities because we're in that world. But mm-hmm. like we know, you know, even like one of your mentors is well, well known amongst magicians, but anyone outside of, you know, the magic bubble has no has never heard of this person you know it's not mm-hmm. just not on the radar because it's not something they care about and that happens in every field no matter what it is you're gonna know who the the top people in that field are because it's of interest of you I think that's what you were trying to say sort of well yeah it's also I guess it's just an example too of like um <laughs> the way things are now there's social media there's a, a million channels there are streaming mm-hmm. platforms it's like everything's fractured. Everything is quite fractured. So Penn and Teller, whom we both love. Yeah. Right. I, I'm speaking for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they're very, very famous, and they do constant television and constant live shows and constant touring. How many times does someone go, "Which one is which?" You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it, it just, it shines an interesting light on to us. We're we're so far in it, but we forget mm-hmm. that the world is really right. huge. It also reminds me, too, of uh, something I heard about celebrity and fame is if it's like, you know, when you have it, it's you can't just say you have it. Right? If you have to tell people you're famous or you're a celebrity, you are not famous or a celebrity. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> it's, it's you've you you reach a certain saturation point where like everyone knows like even if you're not a fan it's like oh i know who kanye west is you know it's just he's everywhere everyone's talking about him he's been a celebrity for a while he just you know that's a celebrity you know yeah um and but uh, it's it's just funny when people say you know even in our field like celebrity mentalist celebrity magician it's like that's that's a far reach sometimes, I think, because uh, if you were a celebrity magician, you don't have to say it. People are going to know you're the celebrity magician. I, I suspect that was lifted from the term celebrity chef because that's oh, accepted, interesting. I feel like. Maybe because that's not as public of a profession, right? Because you're yeah. hiding behind, you know, in a kitchen and you're cooking and you're really just known for the product that you result from. Uh, you and how good your food is. Uh, but when you're like a person in front of people, you, that I think that term, <laughs> you can't really wow. apply. Yeah. Wow, did you just n- hit the nail on the head? I am so excited that you just said that. I, I finally get it now, and that's why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That's it. You just yeah. said it because chefs are typically in the kitchen behind the scenes. Right. Whereas if you say celebrity chef, now it makes sense. This is a famous chef. Whereas if you say celebrity actor, right? Well, you're already in the public eye. It, now you're you're it, now it's questionable. Yeah. Now you go, eh, are you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about that too with like writers because that's another profession where you're kind of hiding. But that's something you literally put your name on everything you write. You know, you have mm-hmm. the, your byline, your author credit, so people at least maybe not know your face, but they'll know the name and the products that you produce. But like again, with a chef, you're it's not like you're signing your dishes in you know whatever sauce. <laughs> you know, I'm celebrity. Chef Bobby Flay or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is this is interesting because it's a weird segue into what I wanted to talk about in terms of uh, productivity and working and just kind of seeing how you operate. Like when you were talking about your marketing and coming up with ideas or just any task at all, like what motivates you if you have a large pile of work you need to get done? Um, how do you approach that? 
Uh, do you use any incentives is kind of what I'm getting at. That's, that, that's, that's something I'm learning about myself is I need some incentives to at least like break up all the, the workload. Like give yourself a little reward? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. <laughs> so you like what? You get like a little Snickers bar? Like what? what no, what do you do? no, no, no. Like uh, I'll like, so I was working on a big editing project and I needed to write a bunch and then re-edit something and. Uh, it just it was it was a lot. It was a lot within a couple of days. So I just knew I needed to get it done by a deadline. So I told myself I was like, I'll do a couple of these for this amount of time. Then I'll take a break and watch like a TV show. Or something oh, that like was going to be my next guess. Was it like an hour of TV or something? Yeah, Is that your reward? Or play a little video games or whatever, and then go back and then bang out another chunk and then reward myself. So then I was like, while doing the work, is like, oh, at least I could like turn on the PlayStation, <laughs> you know, get that done. So I was motivating myself to, to get through it. Do you do anything like that? Uh, no, for me, the, uh, the reward is, is finishing the task and now it's not weighing on my mind. Yeah, that's true. And now that's not to say that I might not reward myself in an impromptu sense. So I finish this. Oh, I'm so glad that's done. Let me go do blank. And that might be not planned. That might just be, you know what I feel like doing? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go order some food or watch a yeah. show or play a video game or just so it's, veg out for a little while. So your incentive tends to be just not having to worry about the task so that you have the free time to do whatever else you want to do. Which isn't necessarily always successful. I'm a very hard worker, mm -hmm. but I know my weaknesses. And I certainly, like most of us, have a proclivity for procrastination. Yeah, absolutely. That's just um, human nature. Yeah, for me, it's making a list, right? Knowing what I need to achieve on any given day and then prioritizing that list. And I don't always write it down. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's, I would say for me, it's more often than not mental. Unless it's really uh, super busy time and I don't want to forget anything. It's usually a mental list of, okay, here's the things I want to try to get a, through a today. A mental list? Yeah. Why? Oh no. <laughs> Sorry. I had to. <laughs> wow. Well, good callback. Good callback. People do know what a mental list is. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, yeah. So f for me that that's how I do it, but I'm, you know, I'm really not the most organized person either. So I don't know if I'm, uh, right. But, but I have a high tolerance for uh, devoting myself to something. So there's sure. that. But if it's something that like is a large project that you need to do, like when we were working on your special, like you had to come up with all of those tricks that you're going to do and how to accomplish them. Like, how did you break up that project to get that all done? I mean, that, that was a lot of work to, to get that even just to before it went on camera. And there, there was even more work to be done once it was on, you know, filming. Yeah, it's 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 one step at a time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's prioritizing. And then sometimes you'll find out you can only do certain things in, in certain order. Right. Like you realize, oh, well, it doesn't make sense to work on this because mm -hmm. X, Y, Z could change, and then we'll have to go backwards anyway. So I think you kind of figure out, okay, what can we get done right now? What can wait and what needs to wait until sure. we finish this? And you kind of figure out kind of chronology. Yeah. Yeah. On on what needs to get done to, to get to that final product, which isn't always easy. But once you've done that process a bunch of times, uh, I think it gets easier, uh, gets more manageable and gets less daunting. I think a lot of it's mental, too. Mm -hmm. And just kind of being able to keep my mind not so busy. So, I mean, I think I've talked about this on here a little bit. I've been meditating, which mm. if I do it first thing in the morning, it's a lot easier for me. If I try to do it in the middle of the day, I, my brain is already too scattered and it's really hard to just, all it does for me in the middle of the day is it shows me how scattered I really am right. in, up there, how busy the mind really is because it's really hard to calm it down. Um, that's why I prefer to do it in the morning. But yeah, yeah. it's mental and uh, yeah. organization, being prepared. Absolutely. Um, one, of, one of the strategies I use, and <laughs> this is weird because I have this book and I, I got the gist of it from the summary, and I haven't actually read the book. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, read, I'll read it eventually. It's on the to-do list. Now, now, there you go, the to-do <laughs> list. Now, before you say how you do it, uh -huh. give us a little ranking. Uh, how much room for improvement for you is there on managing these large projects? Um, I'm pretty good at tackling, like because when I get into a flow state, 
that's what I'm going for, right? Is when you can focus and you're just banging out through the project, really getting things done. And when I'm there, I don't need to take that incentive break because I know I'm in that, you know, that work mode where I can get a lot accomplished. It's sometimes getting into that flow state is the hard part, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a couple techniques that I'm using. One is, um, one is when it's just a daunting task that I don't really want to get done. It's just like, sometimes it's choice paralysis. There's just so much. So you don't want to do any of it because you're like, how am I ever going to finish this? So right. it's like, might as well not even start it. <laughs> um, but there's a book called bird by bird. Have you heard of this book? No, no. Well, I got the gist of it from the title and the synopsis. Wow, I can speak. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, the story was uh, 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 when the author was little, she had to do a project. And I should probably, by the way, I have the book here. Oh, I'm not talking to the mic. Uh, <laughs> grab it. What are you going to show the book on a pod, audio yeah, podcast? Yeah, no, I'm just grabbing it so I can uh, give proper credit if people want to read it. Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Uh, but basically when she was little, she would uh, had this big project where she had to like talk about all these different birds and basically give a summary on them. And the advice I believe her parent gave her was the only way to accomplish this big project was to go bird by bird. So break it into those little chunks, like just focus on that one bird, get that one done. And then you can move on to the next bird and get that one done and so forth. There's probably a lot more to the book. As soon as I read it, I'll let you right. know. Right. Uh, right. It is far down my reading list at the moment, but, uh, mm -hmm. but I'll go book by book until I get to that. <laughs> See there what I go. did there? See? Uh, but there's also something else I've been playing around with, and I just learned the actual term for this, is the uh, Pomodoro timers. There's a Pomodoro uh, method of like trying to achieve that flow state. And I'll even mention this app I'm using. That you do you work for like 25 minutes or something and then take a short break? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you do little reps. So you, normally it's like a 25 minute session. And then after that session of working, you put a little check mark down and you take a five minute break and then you repeat that process until you get, say, like four check marks and then you take a longer break and then you go back. And the app I'm using is adorable. It's called Bear Focus Timer. Okay. <laughs> it's a little picture of a bear. Uh, and uh, what's nice about this is because I noticed like... I get super distracted by social media and just having my phone and everything in that world, notifications and so forth. And I know I could turn some off and probably should take some of those social media apps off my phone and break that pattern of constantly checking, um, which is a strategy a lot. I know a lot of my friends have used uh, to great success, but uh, I like being plugged in. It's kind of why I'm a mentalist too. <laughs> like to know what's going on with people. So I always find myself checking my phone. What's nice about this bear focus timer app. And again, no, they're not sponsors. I'm just saying a cool tool I use, uh, is this, um, it's a little bear and the timer only starts once you place your phone face down on the table. Wow, so I like that. I would, I would try something like that. Yeah. And then what happens is when you pick up your phone, it stops the timer and the bear makes little angry eyes at you. <laughs> Which oh, is very I, I, I love that. Yeah. And then, you know, it'll vibrate after a certain, you know, once you finish your time period and then it says like, take a five minute break or you could skip the break if you're in that flow state and you could just turn the phone back down. And it's nice because it also, I use a lot of um, like soundscapes and background ambient noise. I tend mm -hmm. not to be able to focus on, especially writing projects when there's like music with lyrics or anything like that. So, uh, you know, usually I'll put like, you know, raindrop sounds or a river or my favorite on this app is, a uh, is just a campfire and just having that campfire going and then I'll get a lot of work done. So I was able to, uh, finish that huge editing project by taking each chunk little by little, but also keeping that bare focus timer phase down. So I'm not distracted by anything else. I think I would probably, uh, there's a good chance I would be more productive that way. Um, they say five minutes a day is better than two hours on Saturday. There's mm -hmm. some kind of sayings like that. And I'm the guy who does, you know, 12 hours on Saturday or, <laughs> yeah. or Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Like I, I, I binge what I'm working on at times and, mm -hmm. I don't think that's always the most efficient way of creating or sure. practicing 
or rehearsing. I, I think you need breaks. And I've been actually trying to get better about it myself. And I, I've even done some impromptu time setting. I don't have the app, but maybe I'll try it. What's it called? The bear? The bear? Bear focus timer. Bear focus timing. Because I, I've done some, you know, 25-minute timer type things just to see if that will... Uh, mm-hmm. But it's really hard for me to stop mid-task. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. you don't have to take the break. That's the thing. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. So yeah. if you're feeling that flow, you just keep powering through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just to kind of, if you are kind of slogging through something, it's nice to know I only have to work for 25 minutes, and then I can take a short break and then come back to it. It kind of helps get over And the breaks are varying lengths? You can set all the different um, no. times. I guess the original Pomodoro method, it was like 25 minutes and then five minute break. But again, I think I, you, I even up my timer to like 30 minutes and sometimes an hour. So you can, you can play around with the specific settings and you can even do it without the app, I'm sure. But I, I do like that feature where it doesn't run while you're on your phone because I know if my phone was like active, I would have to just, you know, check the notifications like I was saying. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I love that kind of workflow. And it, it is different. You were talking about, you know, really binging into your work. And I think there is a difference when you are self-employed or mm-hmm. running your own business because people are like, when do you work? And I'm always answering, I'm working pretty much all the time. I'm always either thinking about a new effect or running my business a new way or writing or coming up with ideas and keeping a little notebook for the ideas that I do, um, do right. But that's the thing people don't get is like, they're like, Oh, you're self-employed. You don't have to work. It's like, no, I literally don't stop working ever. It's always yeah, I used to have running in the background. Bringing, yeah. Yeah. I used to be very jealous of friends that could, uh, go to work, leave it there and go mm-hmm. home. Yeah. Um, now I've, I've fully embraced that, um, you know, magic is just part of my life. It's what I mm-hmm. love to do. And mm-hmm. work and play are kind of one and the same for me many yeah, times. So I, I fully embrace it at this point. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like work. That's the thing. Like I said, it's always running in the background, but it's something that we both, you know, we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to be thinking about that at the same time. But I, I do think there is something to what you were saying about like maybe the output would be more efficient if there was like a set schedule of like, I'm going to, you know, wake up early, which first of all, is going to be hard to do regardless. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then like get at the desk. Uh, I watched a, a master class from, I believe it was Dan Brown writing the, you know, from Da Vinci Code and all his, his writing uh, his, these big novels is he goes, I can't fight myself about, or I can't get mad about myself about the quality of the work, but I can be hard on myself for not showing up. So he's like, every day at 4 a.m., he starts at 4 a.m. He's like, I got to sit at my desk, and some days are easier than others to write, but, you know, by the end of the day, I can look back at the output. But if I got to the desk late, you know, that's what I can be hard on myself uh, and really get upset about. Well, when you're talking about creating art of any kind or writing something or whatever it is, I mean, another thing that has a huge impact on the output is your experiences outside of whatever that is. Sure, yeah. And you have to have uh, outside life. It's particularly difficult. Particularly yeah. difficult during COVID. It oh, is. yeah, absolutely. Because you you're only have in that rich, bubble. You got to bring a richness to whatever it is you're doing. So if you say magic, for example, mm-hmm. if you're only studying magic, it's going to be kind of likely to be one-dimensional. You have to have right. perspective on things. Yeah, you have to have something that informs your art. I see this all the time, and it's brought up as a kind of a joke for doing the improv scene here in New York. There are some teams that would just go from improv show to improv show to improv show nonstop, and they didn't really, they weren't doing anything other than improv. And then it was just like, you're doing scenes about improv. Like, yeah, just, right. It's exactly. a snake eating its own tail at that point. And I mean, same thing happens with stand up, too. It's like, you got to have experiences to make uh to inspire your jokes and why it's so hack that you know a lot of comedians who travel a lot just talk about airports because you know that's what they're doing and you gotta Mm -hmm. really kind of push yourself to do these outside experiences and like you're saying the same thing happens in the magic world if you're only doing magic 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 
you're kind of only looking at plots that have already existed or that other performers are doing. And you really need kind of that outside element to inspire something new and can take you into new original direction that hasn't been done before. Point of view. You got to have a point of view. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's also big in comedy as well. Stand up improv. Yeah. Well, I got to be honest. I do tend to love airport bits. I don't know if it's because (laughs) I've traveled a lot, but I've because you relate to them. It's also super impressive that I've heard several uh, prolific and lesser known comedians Mm -hmm. do fantastic airport things that aren't similar to the previous one that I heard. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have your own take on it. And and even with hack topics, per se, mm -hmm. uh, it's always if the joke's funny enough, definitely do it. It kind of almost has to be funnier if you're doing a topic that's been tread before to justify why you're going that that route. Uh, And it's the same thing with working blue. It's like, I avoid it as much as possible, but I can go blue if the joke is worth it, you know, if it's funny enough. Right. And I think there's a a continuum there or a graph or some sort of chart (laughs) that you can picture in your mind. Yeah. Half hour in already, and I still haven't been stumped yet. Yeah, it's riddle time. Here we go. (laughs) Diddle me this, diddle me that. Will Eric end up stumping Matt? Riddles! All right, I hope this is a good one for you. Here's your riddle, Matt. I'm going to read it once, talk out your process. Okay. Samuel was out for a walk when it started to rain. He did not have an umbrella, and he wasn't wearing a hat. His clothes were soaked, yet not a single hair on his head got wet. How could this happen? Let me get that again, please. Yes, I will repeat the question. (laughs) Very formal, like a spelling bee. (laughs) Do you want the country of origin? (laughs) (laughs) Please, use an Uh, example. Yeah. Uh, All right, so here's the riddle again. Samuel was out for a walk when it started to rain. He did not have an umbrella, and he wasn't wearing a hat. His clothes got soaked, yet not a single hair on his head got wet. How could this happen? Talk it out. Talk it out. He's out for a walk, assuming he's not under an overhang because his clothes are soaked. Yes. Assuming he's not bald because you mentioned his hair did not get wet on his head. I said, not a single hair on his head got wet. Oh, is he bald? He is bald. You stumbled into it again. (laughs) Yeah, this is another one of those assumption riddles where you have to, you know, you assume he has hair kind of the way it's worded, Mm. but I never say he had hair. I just said, not a single hair on his head got wet. I'm becoming a riddle savant. I know. You're getting these too fast. (laughs) I should have. I should have at least paused at for least, the listeners on at this. At least pretend you're struggling. It makes uh, for a better segment. No. People in the car are just like still, still <laughs> trying to process the riddle. I'm just no. You got this it. Here. You got it. That's a good one. That's uh, uh, again my favorite uh, type of riddles are those ones where you're making assumptions. But I think you're getting wise to that now. You're like starting to pick up. It's like, hmm, what assumptions are there, and how do I subvert those assumptions? Um, you eliminated the overhang right away, but then you found found out the uh, the baldness. I I, uh, I apologize. I just shot the next twenty minutes of this episode. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Uh, but no, I, I think the thing I, I, we've talked about why I like riddles like this before. But I mean, it it applies so well to magic. It's that uh, uh, subverting assumptions and taking advantage of that. And I think that's a good um, when you're creating you know, in our field is to figure out what assumptions people are already making and take advantage of that. Yeah. How the human mind works is so important to what we do. Mm -hmm. I've seen a little bit of um, feedback from listeners on um, must be magicians actually asking for advice for performers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know this is just off the cuff and putting you on the spot. What's like your first go to? Diddle me this. We're going to end that oh. <laughs> If we're moving on. Up stumping Matt Well, I can continue riddles. bragging. There you go. You can continue bragging <laughs> if you want. Um, what were you saying? Do you have go-to advice? I'm sure this wouldn't be the first time people asked you for advice. Uh, if someone wants is an aspiring performer or maybe even a current full-time performer, everyone's mm-hmm. always kind of hopefully looking to learn. I know I still am. 
Yeah, I think it depends on the skill level. Uh, if I know anything about them, I, obviously my advice for a performer that's been doing it is going to be a little bit different than someone just getting into performing. How about how about someone on the brink of like, can I go full time with what I'm doing? Yeah, I would say I always tell people it's about flight time and listening to the audience. I mean, obviously topics we've touched upon before mm-hmm. and even just at the beginning of this is having that outside influence for sure to in, to inspire that creativity. But it's all about just doing it and, and hearing it right and hearing and what your audience is giving you and they're going to be the ones paying to see you. So you have to listen to them. And if you have an idea that you think is great and it's not getting that response, got to get rid of it. Be, be Mm -hmm. able to cut, kill your darlings, you know, uh, as they say. And, uh, and just, uh, and the more like, like create your own opportunities to fail too. That's, that's a big one that I always tell. Uh, I, when we were first starting out, you know, I would always create a show where I can try out stuff, listen to the audience. I, I had a show back in Worcester that I believe you came every once in a while too. I performed, you performed there it. too. Yeah. yeah back yeah. when we and, were, and came as a spectator when we were starting out you know, I was still living in Massachusetts and, uh, you know, paired up with a comedy club, a uh, little plug for Frank Foley's comedy safari, which I think is still running. Not in the same I, place for sure. I did that too. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was all to, kind of together. Well, it was so a different venue, though. They were they were sponsoring um, the show we created with uh, my friends Jason and Tony and uh, Desra was uh, called uh, Disillusioned. Yeah, I did that show and then got booked by Frank to do his other thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. The actual like comedy venues, and I think he's still going around in that central Massachusetts area. It was kind somewhere. of a restaurant, the one that I did. Yeah, not in uh, the separate one that I did. Absolutely, absolutely. And they, um, you know, that was just a place to. Again, we did it for very little money, if any money at all. I don't even remember <laughs> getting paid, uh, but just creating that stage time because again, you're you're trying to clock hours. It's that ten thousand hour Malcolm Gladwell idea is the more you do it and the more you do it in weird and terrible uh Mm -hmm. you know venues and situations really is trial by fire and that's what's going to kind of cauterize your act and make it polished and uh, make it as good as can be yeah you want to be prepared for the absolute worst scenario and make it work that's what you want to be you want to be bulletproof mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so i continued that idea when i started my amazeball show because i was like oh, i'll just go back to that basic step is I'll create my own opportunity again when I wanted to create new material. Obviously, as a mentalist, I have to do it with people because you're reading people and interacting. You can, you can like with you and magic, you can practice a lot in front of a mirror, but eventually you need to get a, to a point where you're performing for someone else to see if it's fooling them, right? hundred percent. You know, mm-hmm. the mirror practice is great and it can tell you how good your, for magicians, I think it can tell you how good your top change is. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, uh, magician Donnie D. Ortiz likes to say is it can tell you if your top change is good, but it mirror will never tell you when to do it. Yeah. It's the, the timing. timing of when to do the top change is maybe even more important than the technique. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so yeah, when I, when I did, there. um, balls, I was just like, oh, I'm going to just go back to this. Well, get stage time again, try out new material in front of real people. And I wanted things to be weird and bizarre in that show, too. I would encourage my other acts that I booked to, like, try experimental stuff. Occasionally, we get the, the performer coming in and doing their A-game. And by comparison, it would make us all look real bad. But right. I would always say the joke's on them because they didn't learn anything from that process. You just did a free show and you did your A material. But right. you didn't get any feedback on anything you were trying. And I, I fostered an environment where... You know, the audience was there to be part of that process mm-hmm. and they weren't expecting. I mean, there's still amazing moments, obviously, when things worked. But mm-hmm. if something failed, I was like, we're all friends here. You know, mm-hmm. you might learn a trick, a secret or two, but like, mm-hmm. you know, don't be a dick about it. And, you yeah, know, yeah. we're going to we're gonna get through this and, you know, you get to see some fails and you get to see some awesome moments and hopefully see stuff you've never seen and, you know, force that originality. I don't know if I told you about this, but one of the things I'm planning on doing once once there's become some normalcy again. So it, obviously I have a stage in Vegas to, to try things out, but mm-hmm. the show, it's a Vegas show, needs to maintain a certain quality. So I can't try things at least until they're somewhat proven right. to be ready-ish right. uh, for, for a paying audience. But 
I don't stop me if I told you this, but we do a, a meet and greet, a VIP meet and greet. It's just mm. a meet and greet ticket that you can buy in addition to your show ticket. And we take pictures after the show and sign things. And when I say we, I mean me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Although you have but, your, your team there yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we'll do, we, we max it out at a, a relatively low number so that it's intimate. But what I'm thinking about doing and was thinking about doing right before we closed is because I have all this close up magic that I never get to try out on stage because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't work on stage. It's meant to be done in an intimate environment. I want to start working on it as a surprise at the, at the right. meet and greet. That's great. So it's a very, so anyone listening to this, if you come to a show, okay, don't be mad at me if you come to the meet and greet, <laughs> if we ever have meet and greets ever again, yeah. uh, without a hazmat suit. <laughs> yeah. Without a hazmat suit, but, um, <laughs> card to hazmat suit. What's that? You can do card to hazmat suit. Card to hazmat, card to inside your glove, whatever yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but I, I do plan on occasionally throwing in some maybe five minutes of things just to really try it out. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it every time, but when I feel ready and I have something I want to sample mm-hmm. for uh, real people, I'm going to I'm gonna take that opportunity, and, and it's a free show. It's something that people aren't expecting. Did I tell yeah. you about this at all? I think you did. I don't think you did it on the podcast. Gotcha. But, uh, so yeah. I really would love to do that. I really miss performing now. So more than ever, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's how you kind of been filling a lot of your time in uh, the quarantine was just working on those kind of close up pieces and close up and stage. But yeah. yes, uh, definitely both. Definitely yeah. both. That's that's good, too. And I even know from like our experiences, you know, back when you were doing colleges and I'm still doing colleges is sometimes you never know what situation you're going to get to. I mean, you ideally advance the show, so you have an idea of what you're getting into, but you'll arrive at a, a venue or a campus that's not quite set up the right way, or you're, you know, in the cafe gymnatorium during lunch hour while, you know, you're performing for a bunch of students who just want to eat and not pay attention to anything that's going on at the front of the room. Yeah, uh, it could be a 12-inch riser that's yeah. like six feet and round. <laughs> and, and, and those opportunities, people, you know, obviously will share and not complain, but, you know, a lot of people do complain about those. But those are the moments that, like I said, are really those trial-by-fire moments where you're going to just improve. And if you can figure out a way to make that work, you know, it's it's almost like swinging a baseball bat with the donut on it, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you're in a proper theater or a, 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 a environment where you have the control, you know, because you had that experience that this other experience that you have control over is going to just go that much better and that you can handle any situation that comes to you. Yeah. Then when you walk into a great theater or just any environment conducive to your show, you don't even have to think. And the, the, the benefit to that is you get to really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the um, the House of Blues Boston show? Yeah, that was a really tough environment. <laughs> yeah, so I know re- how. I remember how I worked the room. Yeah. Also, I was gonna say to, to, to set the scene for our uh, listeners is this is the the foundation room. It wasn't even the main stage in the House of Blues. We had a friend setting it up, and uh, you know, wasn't doing. He hadn't done a lot of variety shows. Probably ten years ago. Yeah, this was so long ago, and uh, and just I remember walking in the room, and it was like almost dark enough that you couldn't even see the stage right it was, i can't believe you're calling it a stage it was, it was wasn't a it just like a, it, was it a riser or was it just like a, a natural step that existed in the room no i know it was a physical stage because i had to move the stage under oh. the one lighting sconce that was like sort of illuminating the room but gotcha. still very dim gotcha <laughs> and then they also had the couches and the couches were faced to the side walls as if it was like a actual just the lounge that the foundation room is. And they wouldn't even turn the couches to like face the stage area. Do you remember that? Maybe I'm misremembering this, but I believe some of the chairs were even facing the opposite direction. <laughs> that That's my true. recollection. That could be true. But what I, I enjoyed about you was you noticed the situation and then you went in and I believe you did your cards across routine in the audience and you got yeah. people involved and almost made it like a uh, street performing in the round yeah. kind of style, right? Use the environment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. use the environment to the, uh, to your advantage. That's something I learned a lot from, from Jeff McBride. You know, and he said something like all the world's a stage and it's up to you where you're going to stand for your show. Exactly. And when you walk into a venue like that, why not jump and stand on a chair in the middle of the room? Yeah. If the stage is not in a good place for people to watch you do your shtick, Mm-hmm. maybe you make the decision, I'm not really going to stand there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And also just being aware of what your audience is experiencing that whole time. Because I remember the show went long. I remember Mm -hmm. we had like 30 minutes and there was like four performers and some people went over that still. So it's a long show. There's also a band. I don't know. There was a lot going on in the show. (laughs) But I remember by the time I got up, I was ending the show. It was like three hours, it felt like, into the show. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was at least past the three-hour mark. So being aware of the audience that's just been sitting there for this long show, I had to, my opening line was like, I'm Eric Dittleman, I'm a mind reader, I know what you're thinking. When the hell is the show going to end? <laughs> you just have to call <laughs> the elephant in the room sometimes just to be aware. Uh, but I wanted to go back a little bit about like taking advantage of the environment or like moving things around or even like like I did with the changing the stages like some people call that very like diva-ish sometimes you mm-hmm. know if you're if you're trying to change the situation that you got but also you got to remember they're there to see you and you're you're trying to put on the best show possible for mm-hmm. them as well mm-hmm. so I, I think there's also that advice of like don't be afraid to uh, speak up and make changes in a nice and politeful way you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that you can best showcase the way that you want to be showcased and that it's just going to be an overall better experience. And being performers, we have more experience about knowing what's going to make our show pop and be that much better. It's, it's definitely a delicate uh, territory. Yeah. Right. Um, and you can do it like a, like a, like a dick and come across as a diva for sure. <laughs> well, don't forget, you said they're there to see you. Well, depending on the performer and it the might situation, not be, yeah. no, not, not necessarily. In fact, in most cases, I mean, in all of the shows I did, almost all of them growing up, you know, you're walking into a situation where you have to win over the audience. They didn't choose to come mm-hmm. see Magic. They chose to go right. to Charlie's birthday. They chose to go yeah. to... This Even, uh, welcome event for their company, and they aren't there to see you. So you need to work within their confines, but also try your best to figure out, okay, how can I make my show work here in a yeah. you know way that it's going to? Yeah, I was talking about more like a ticketed event or your own theater oh, or whatever. Gotcha. But, but yeah, don't, you're definitely right. And even in the corporate market, sometimes you're just there to break up a you know business meeting. So they're there for the awards or the, you know, the annual reports, and they're not necessarily there for you. And then you, you kind of have to gauge that situation so that you don't come across like, well, I'm here for me time and you're just not right. reading the room correctly. <laughs> right. I, I would say uh, advice wise, all of all of what you said is, is I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to really follow experience as the best teacher advice. Yeah. It's hard to follow that because it's such good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I always keep in mind now, and I really believe this to be important, not just for beginners, but pros remain a student of whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm inspired by seeing people like Johnny Thompson who are still learning in their 80s, seeing guys like Bill Malone who still consider themselves a student of magic. And this is someone who knows more about sleight of hand than most people I've ever come across and entertaining people and making things fun. Um, And Jeff McBride, who's still working on and creating new routines. Mm -hmm. And they've been at it much longer than you or I. Yeah. Right? I think, and look at Penn & Teller, still creating, right? Copperfield, still creating. Um, Remaining a student of whatever it is you're doing, it's it's an easy thing to forget. Because once you've been doing something for, people have different thresholds, but it could be five years and all of a sudden you think you know what you're doing. Yeah. It could be 10 years and you think, I'm a pro. It could be... 20 years. I mean, I think we may have gotten into some of this before. (laughs) Yeah. But remaining a student is uh, at the forefront, I think. Yeah, we might just repeat ourselves every episode (laughs) in the podcast. Well, especially (laughs) when I solve the riddle in 30 (laughs) seconds, man. Come on. (laughs) But, But that does tie into another piece of advice that I've always told people. And I, you know, again, going back to our conversation, the advice I gave you before, you know, America's Got Talent ties into this too, was uh, just the phrase, be humble. Just be humble. Like, don't expect the world. You know, you got to just take what you get sometimes. And, um, you know, like you're saying, being a student allows you to be humble because you know that there's more to learn. There's more for you to actually uh, improve yourself. Uh, And as you were saying, there's so many people we've seen in all sorts of entertainment that are like, I got this down. I don't need to learn anything else. And it also ties into this ego that I see a lot in magic. And I don't know if it's tied specifically to magic, 
but like these big egos and this divaness that just doesn't, it's not necessary to become uh, successful as a performer or entertaining or any of those things. Uh, did you ever go through like an overconfident phase? I think there has to be some confidence. I don't over, know about over, overconfidence. Though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I have usually sway the other way on that spectrum. It's like I have to work myself up to be confident and like be like, I got this, you know, mm-hmm. or fake it till you make it a little bit. But when you're when you're like super cocky, I think that's where you get over a little little into trouble. Uh, and yeah. just how people perceive you. I think a lot into trouble. I, I hit the phase. I'm so thankful to have hit it when I was like young. I was in my yeah. teens and my friends quickly put me in my place, which is great. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. And I'm thankful for that. But I see people go through that phase uh, later. And I think it's a lot harder. It's a mm. lot harder to uh, it's less forgiving when you're, say, 28 or something mm-hmm. going through that phase. Or I older. Think that's, yeah. So I, or older. Yeah. <laughs> so like I just hope someone hears this and it helps them. I really do. Yeah. And it's about who you surround yourself. And like you were saying, having those friends to call you out (laughs) when you're making those dumb mistakes. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, you can't surround yourself by the yes men that are just going to be like, oh yeah, we think whatever you're doing is perfect and great. And again, it's be humble, take advice, take a critical advice when you ask for it. And you know, uh, I don't know if the ego thing also ties into uh, just the fact that in magic you are presenting these quote supposed powers, right? Right. So like you're making things appear and vanish, these supernatural things. There's always the like, look what I can do and you can't do element that, you know, a lot of young uh, people get into magic for that reason mm-hmm. <laughs> to kind of get that attention, that, that power. Uh, but I don't know if that turns into a little bit of like a God complex, like to believe that <laughs> your own Kool-Aid, despite knowing the methods of how you're doing it, the power that it's it's very attractive to pretend that, yeah, wow, people do see me as having these awesome powers. And I think that's enticing. And I think you have to actively avoid that draw uh, when it comes to magic. I don't know. Uh, yes. I think one thing that helps kind of, bring us back to earth on that is someone could learn a trick today yeah. and perform it tonight. I'm talking something very basic and let's say the trick goes incredibly well for their spectator mm-hmm. and they get that, they, they create that feeling for the spectator and for themselves. That's it. That yeah. is the greatest feeling you get from doing magic mm-hmm. or mind reading mm-hmm. or whatever it is. That feeling is just the same when I get it as mm-hmm. them on their first day. Yeah. I'm no better than them. My experience, you know what I mean? It's right. no better or worse. It, that's what we're trying to do. So what matters is, uh, is your card the five of hearts? Yes, great. That's what I care about. Not not mm-hmm. ego, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Achieving and, that trick and, and remembering that that's the experience we want to have, whether it's day one or day 200,000. And, and I think the key to that as well is to kind of shift the perspective. So when you are creating magic, it's not the focus is all on me, 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 look what I can do and all these awesome things that I learned in a book that anyone else, if they found that same book, can learn as well. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's that whole, that's why I'm very, I get why secrets exist, but it's, it's, a lot of guarding that empty, you know, chest of, of secrets is anyone, if they really want, can find it out. It's just about time and effort. So it's really about the the shift in perspective where it's not about me, 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 but it's creating that magical moment in your participant. So mm-hmm. that's where the focus is. You're technically, and that if you look at it that way, you're keeping the secret for them mm-hmm. so that they can create this magical astonishment moment and that... If they learn the secret, that ruins that moment a little bit for them. So if they wanted to learn it, they could. But focusing on that moment of astonishment for them, I think that's got to be the key. And then it's not about, look what I can do, but how do I best create that moment for my audiences and think of it from their perspective? Because magic really only is happening in their heads, in their minds. Just read a really uh, kind of an interesting article. Uh, it was like an interview with Jim Steinmeier. I don't know if you happen to see it. The popular it, mechanics. I did read that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it yeah. De- definitely talked about keeping the secret for them as mm. opposed to from them. Which oh, is interesting. interesting. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. that's where I got it from. But I, I mean, this has been around. I've heard that. Oh, absolutely, times. Yeah. absolutely. But I thought the interview was interesting. I always love, uh, you know, hearing what Jim has to say. He's one of the great yeah. creators of our time. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the only thing that bothered me about that article was the reporter trying to, like, really figure out one specific, <laughs> you know. He's the, like, the I gotta get him. <laughs> the reporter's angle was kind of meh. Yeah. It's yeah. like, eh, you, you don't get it. Like, yeah. you have this person who knows more than anybody how to explain this to you, and you're still not getting it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 again what people think is the important part, which is the secret, and it's not. It's not. Well, but look, if the reporter was talking to me, I would mm -hmm. understand. I might not be able to articulate. Uh, I'm not an author of as many books as Jim Steinmeier <laughs> is that are not only for magicians, but also he writes for the general public. Yes. Like I could understand. Okay, maybe I can't articulate why this is not. He's asking the wrong questions. But if you're sitting in front of, I'd, if you're sitting yeah. in front of Jim Steinmeier and you still don't get it. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I agree completely. I completely. Like, that's the guy I would call and be like, wait, wait, listen to him. He'll explain it to you. Right. And then you'll get it. And if you still don't, I, I don't know. That's hard. Right. Um, but back to the egos and magic a little bit, just because I see so much of this, of the, the bragging about how many shows. I where, where do you think the balance is between, like you were saying, the confidence versus overconfidence or like trying to promote yourself that you are successful to draw more business versus showboating, you know, mm. and overdoing that. Do you think there is a, a line and what is that line? Wow. <laughs> everyone has the their spot. own, everyone has their own. It's their own, mm -hmm. um, it's their own decision on, on how they want to handle it. Some people, you know, and, I, and I'm not even taking sides here, but if you look at, you know, Donald Trump make a speech. Mm -hmm. Everything is sort of angled on what a great job he's doing. Yeah. Now, even if he even if he takes a second to say, no, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the vice president and my administration. It all kind of is this um, is showboating, I guess the right yeah, word sure. phrase. Um, and there are magicians who have I, I think they have the exact same approach and maybe it works mm -hmm. for them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm more on your side of things where it's like I have to f push that line further than I'm comfortable pushing it. Right. Otherwise, I'll be too reserved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I'll, you can I'll relate to that, I'll downplay right? a lot of my successes. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And yeah. I need to force myself to say, no, it's okay to mention this. Yeah. It's yeah. okay to talk about this accomplishment. It's like, I'm here to promote something. I should probably promote myself a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard yeah. to do. Yeah. Right. So, um, I like there's there's definitely the people who do uh uh me and uh, our mutual friend Michael Kent have used this term. He taught me the term of like especially like on Instagram all these pictures of this is my office for the day and it's another theater or whatever is the term hustle porn. <laughs> I'm not familiar with the term hustle porn, but I get a, it. It's a term that I yeah, it's very funny. It's like it's just showing, you know, uh, all these posts of how much you're hustling to show how great you are and all these gigs you're doing. It's like, it's cool to promote it, but I think there is that ego that drives most of that to show that you're successful. And I think it's best when it aligns with how successful you actually are. Right. So sure. it's again, like we we're talking about the, the celebrity. If you have to say you're a celebrity, right. <laughs> you know, it's right. like if you are successful and you're working a lot, people are going to know they'll, mm -hmm. they'll see that I think without you having to push it. But I also think it has to tie into authenticity about the performer, too. And if you are that type of person, really, I think that's going to ring more true than, you know, someone trying to push it beyond a little bit further and, and make themselves out to be greater. You know, I've always felt my style is very much me because, again, I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever, go with the flow. <laughs> like, just right. I want to hang out and have fun. And that's what aligns with, with my performance style as well as my personality. And I think that that's really key is be, uh, be humble, be authentic. And uh, because people can smell that a, a mile away if you're not who you are. It's surprising how much I, I find that people aren't sniffing it, though. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> people no, who I are mean, buying into it. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just all too. I mean, to me, it doesn't even bother me because I'm like um, immune to it at this point. But you just, uh, I won't even get into specifics, but you'll hear just like, it's very common for a magician to say, this is this is just unprecedented territory. No mm. one's ever attempted anything yeah. like this. We've brought this to a level that no one's ever seen. All, and, and I get it, it's puffery. Yeah. 
And there's um, there's theatrical reasons for doing things like that of saying, yeah. you know, this is the hardest thing I do in my show to try and build that drama. And there's techniques just, you know, that are used in movies and plays and everything like that. But I think you have to do it for a specific reason. And again, it's still got to be authentic. It's still going to ring true for me, at least. Saying this is the hardest thing I do in my show is much different than saying... I'm the best in the world at this and no one can ever beat me. <laughs> yeah, know? bragging about yeah, bragging about other random things. I uh, got I, 17 awards for this <laughs> this yeah. one performance. It's taken me around the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it, it really is a fine line. It really is tough. It really is tough. And even humble and bragging. Yeah, it's humble bragging. Yeah. Or even just like when it gets to be a problem, especially when you're like throwing other people under the bus. It's like, oh, I do this better than that guy or anyone else. You know? Yeah. But even like, like, what's an example of a humble brag? Like a humble brag would be like for, I guess a humble brag is sometimes okay and other times completely out of place. Mm. So like if we're talking about one thing and then you kind of like randomly almost shoehorn in, well, yeah, when I was on Ellen. <laughs> By the way, when I was on Ellen. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, by the way, can we talk about how I might not have a demo reel? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did we? Oh, did we talk about this at all last week about Ellen? No, just how wild that's getting with her situation. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, between Nick Cannon's comments last month with uh, anti-Semitism and, right. you know, everything like that. Literally, my demo reel is... Him introducing me and then Ellen introducing me. So I go, Penn and Teller and Kelly and Ryan, they better not do anything to get canceled or I'm not going to have anything left to Wait, wait, show. Just, just on Ellen for a minute. I mean, yeah. okay, I've never met Ellen DeGeneres. Um, you've been at the set. Mm-hmm. I, and I understand appearing on a talk show is, right. is somewhat of a limited experience. You're in the dressing room, blah, blah, blah. And they're all kind of standard in the way you do that. However, mm-hmm. uh, just initially, any... Insight from what you saw, just real quick. Oh, sure. I mean, again, it's so funny of these celebrities that are coming out in support of her. It's like, of course, she's going to be nice to her guests and whatnot. But I mean, the the argument is about her uh, the backstage environment that's been created. And that's something that I didn't get to see or have any perspective on. Like when I was on the show, they put me in a little room that was secluded out. And then basically... We did a run through with the producers so they knew how to do the camera blocking that she didn't want to be part of because she likes to be surprised by the magic. And I basically got to direct that segment and tell her where to go. But I didn't get to meet her until the cameras were rolling and I walked out for the first time. We did the whole segment and then we got to chat a little bit as she was coming to commercial. And then I was done and the car was ready for me to go and she had to tape something else. So literally my experience was only what you saw on television. Sure. and, you know, the staff, from what I could tell, was not very nice. And, you know, I didn't see any issues backstage from the limited amount right. of, uh, you know, interactions I had with the staff at all. I had a great experience with the show. I mean, and it was a ben- huge benchmark for me. And, you know, a lot of performers have been on that show. So I'm very grateful. And I'm just saying if, you know, she's ma- manages to uh, weather the storm, you know, happy to be back on the show <laughs> if she wants to book me, um, you know. Uh, I, I do think there's a lot that may have been going on behind the scenes that I just can't speak to. So I I, uh, yeah. So my yeah. question, I just wonder if uh, she's a monster, like people are saying, which might be true. I don't I don't know anything, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it just such a stark contrast from her on camera personality? Yeah, maybe. Um, things like the security guard saying, "Oh, well, she didn't really say hi to me." I'm like, I, I was kind of reading the articles, waiting for the. Uh, even minor hazing or something. I was waiting for the, because we live in a world where like you read articles about someone like Bill Cosby and it's like, whoa, when you like, get to that's the That's a monster, yeah. <laughs> and I was waiting for the, and then she backhanded me or something. Yeah. And I did, I wasn't get. maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm being insensitive, but I was waiting for the part where I went, maybe, it, maybe we're just too desensitized to it now. I don't know, but. I was waiting for it and it didn't it didn't mm-hmm. come for me but I'm not there so right. I, and I think I'm there are reports turn. and I think there's people that have spoken up but just let the toxicity of the environment but again it's nothing that I can speak to yeah. or know about and I'm just yeah. reading articles like everyone else and you know some of it might be just you know that celebrity nature or whatever and just how someone manages but if you're running a show I feel like you know you should 
foster a more, you know, warm environment, you know, that people feel like they're safe and want to do the work for you rather than be afraid of you. But again, that's why I don't run a show. I don't, you know, maybe you need a certain bit of that to get successful. But uh, I mean, I hear the best stories are those environments that are, you know, able to foster a great relationship and be successful. And that's probably the way to go. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. Always try to be a peach if you can. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah be, as be Lance, humble, be humble, humble. And as Lance Burton says, you know, he never walks away from a situation wishing he was more of a jerk. Right. Yeah, that's true. You know, he's always walks away thinking it couldn't have hurt if he had been nicer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So. That's great advice. That's very yeah. good. So well, um, here we are in as the bank. We, as we uh, ruin any potential Ellen appearances for the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea. Uh, again, uh, uh, yeah, Innocent until proven guilty, man. Come on. Agreed. Agreed. And there's a whole conversation we can have about cancel culture, but maybe for another time, uh, just to everything that's going on in the world. But uh, yeah, this is a bank episode. Uh, we didn't get to the new segment I was going to introduce, ah. but uh, that's okay. Uh, maybe we'll save it for another episode and we'll see how it goes. And, um, and yeah, follow us on social media at MindMagicPod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Leave us a review. It does help. Uh, five stars if you can. Write a little message to us. Uh, you can also email us at the podcast at MindOverMagicPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and just let us know. We want to hear some feedback, uh, social media or email otherwise. Uh, and we can get uh, get some of your uh, ideas, questions on the show. If you have a topic you want us to discuss, we are happy to discuss most anything. So, Take care, y'all. Yeah, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you.